so glad to have you here and many guests with us here today. Um, as you've noticed some uh, differences on the stage than what you normally see, we have some gifts we're passing out today in honor of families that are wanting to dedicate their child to the Lord. You may have heard this in years past called baby dedication, or, but we call it here at Carpenter's Way family dedication because it's not about the child's salvation. At one point when the child is older and, and it's, has understanding, can receive child as their God, uh, Christ as their Savior for themselves, but family dedication is when they come and stand before us as a church and say, we're, we're dedicating our child to the Lord, our family and service to the Lord. Please pray, join us in prayer and support as we're on this parenting journey. And it is quite a journey, right? <laughs> Many ups and downs, hills and valleys, highs and lows, but it's all wonderful. And as a family, when we come together as Carpenter's Way, what a support, what a strength we have in the body of Christ. So that's what we're doing today. So we have 11 families. Isn't that so exciting? We, uh, we're going to have family dedication back in March, but then with COVID and everything got shut down. Well, since summer, fall, the Lord has added to our numbers, so we have 11. So um, as I call your name, I'm just calling them in alphabetical order. Mom, Dad, the immediate family, come forward. We have a gift for you, and it's a baby Bible. And it's also something else that I've added to it just in my parenting journey as a mom that I felt it's very helpful and I want to share this with you is it's just a little Rolodex, index Rolodex, and through the year, well, since before my son, he's 19, before he was born, just the Lord started putting verses on my heart and I would write these down on this Rolodex. So I've got a Rolodex for you on your parenting and your prayer journey as the Lord lays verses or prayers upon your heart. Just write them on here and you'll have that just to pray daily for your child. So without further ado, we have our first family, which is Jeff and Marissa Anderson and their sweet little girl, Piper May. Big brothers, Caleb Luke and sister Eva. Can you wave? Can you say hi? Can you say hi? 
All right, who gets to hold the gift? Okay. And um, something else you'll notice on the screen is a verse. I've asked each family to select a life verse for their child. So all, that's why you, you'll notice the different pictures and the different verses. So, okay, guys, y'all can stand right, go on, move on right on down. I've got tape for everybody. Y'all, we try to be organized. But, uh, Micah and Laura Birdsong with little Lila June. And of course, big brother Sam. Yeah. She's a newbie, real, real newbie. <laughs> We're so glad to have, oh gosh, I remember when Laura Lee was in the youth group. And now look at her, all grown and married and with kids. So it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, you can step on down. Miss Rosa Kalamako. And her little boy, Martin, named after his daddy. And we've got sweet girls, Kaylee, Chloe, and Kate. <laughs> All right, buddy. Hey, buddy. Which one of you girls wants to hold? You want to hold? <laughs> You're welcome. Trent and Leslie Cook and their sweet little one, uh, two girls, actually, Gentry's big sister standing here, and then we have Miss Allie May. Oh, actually, I think I gave them the wrong one. Rosa, I gave them the wrong gift. Boy means blue, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to hold this? All right. Laney. Laney. Big sister Laney. <laughs> Miss, uh, Miss Dana Hughes and her husband, Sam. They've got little Piper, Kaywin. That's another one growing up in the youth group at Carpenter's Way. Oh, my goodness. You're welcome. It's so wonderful to see families plugging in. So awesome. We're so glad to have your family. Derek and Ashley LaCovra, Miss Olivia Faith. She's getting so big. She just had her first birthday. Oh, my goodness. Here you go, Dad. <laughs> Russell and Jessica Reed. And their little girl, Hattie Lou. I got my names mixed up earlier. And big sister, Gentry. More growing up, in, uh, coming as soon as they could, not in youth group, but college. It's so funny, the memories you, you have. I remember, Jessica, you coming in as a single adult, doing mission trips and serving the Lord, even in, as a college student, and now they're here with their family, plugging in and serving. So awesome. All right, Cody and Courtney Stifel, and their little one, Cade Allen, and big sister, Brooklyn. Cody, you will always be the lava lava boy to me from Vacation Bible School, another Carpenter's Way kid growing up. <laughs> and so you're welcome. It's funny, the memories Donna remembers, yeah. <laughs> Chad and Megan Sullivan, they are raising two boys, big brother Dax, and newest addition is Duke. Congratulations. 
Zach Watson and his wife, Morgan. They have little Miss Kennedy Blair. Congratulations, you guys. <laughs> Another Carpenter's Way youth group. Oh, my gosh. I'm not getting old. I'm not old. I'm not old. And another Zach, Mr. Zach Wilkie, and his sweet wife, Hannah, and little Samuel. Congratulations. You're welcome. As our, let's give them a round of applause. That, that took a lot of work to get here, get dressed on time, right? <laughs> We're just going to have a word of prayer, so... Grandmas, grandpas, you're, and elders, you're welcome to come forward and stand with your family. We're just going to have a song of blessing sung over them, and then we'll end with a word of prayer by one of our elders.
a lot of debate. For those of you who are watching online, we have a whole room full of people up front. And I want to make it clear that the treasure of the church is not her facilities and her buildings and her programming. This is the treasure of the church. This is what Jesus died for. And to pass on, it is easy, and I, I mean easier, for a church to put programming together that reaches out to the lost and then comes back and we high-five each other. But to day in and day out pour into their kids, I don't know if you noticed this morning, but poor Alicia had some sort of nervous breakdown realizing she is no longer young Miss Alicia. <laughs> I mean, I'm feeling the same thing, but I'm 54. I'm, I've been feeling this for about four years. But my goodness, I remember Stifle when he was just a punk running around the youth group. I say punk with the most love. I mean, it is so cool. And to see you guys love God and want to raise your kids and stand up here and put up with the rowdy kids. And many of these people uh, are involved in ministry at Carpenter's Way. And I would say that thank God for your commitment. The future is fine. It is fine. So what we're going to do, two things are going to happen right now. Number one, uh, a mixed among them is our pastoral staff and our elders. And I'm going to have Kevin Hudson, who is the chairman of our elder board, pray for them on behalf of the leadership of the church. And then I'm going to ask John Rowan to make his way up here. John is a senior member of our flock, and he is going to pray on behalf of the church. And I'll take the microphone when you're done, Kevin, and I'll explain about that in a moment. Will you pray for these families? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for reminding us that you are sovereign and that you reign over all. Thank you for reminding us of families and of children and of the future and that our job, that our pleasure as members of this church are to continue to reach out, to help those around us, to assist our brothers and sisters, and to be brothers and sisters to the young ones that are coming up that as we work day in and day out to teach them and disciple them and raise them and assist their parents and continuing to go forward that you would give us unity as a church that you would give us guidance and wisdom and that you would have us say and do the things that you would have us to say and do on your behalf and then it all that we do that it will glorify you, that these young ones will come to know you and accept you and treasure you in their hearts as we as a church have done, as members have done, and may we continue to guide the way to use your word as a light into our path and to lead those around us and to raise them up to learn to love you as we do. And all these things we ask, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before you pray, John, um, I want to ask you, uh, and, and I know there's people at home, but this we've all been in church before where gossip reigns, and the truth is, these aren't their kids alone. It takes a spiritual village to raise a disciple, and we as a church have committed, and Kevin prayed about that. I mean, we're investing a lot of money this year in, in a youth pastor and developing these young men and young women. But I'm going to ask that you, as a church, commit yourself to praying for these families. And when you see the kid acting like a demon-possessed child, instead of telling somebody how good your kids were compared to their kids, pray for them, help them, support them. Even if you're at Walmart, don't run the other way. Run to them. Some of these moms need a glass of wine. So I'm just kidding. Now you can pray. But, but here's the thing. I want to ask, and I know that many of you are at home watching, will you commit? 
Carpenter's Way family, to helping these people raise godly young men and women in the future. If you do, will you say we will? John, will you pray on behalf of the flock? Most of these kids will call you Papa John. Yeah. So will you pray for them, please? I, some of the mother and daddies. Mother and daddy. <laughs> I taught four-year-olds. <laughs> Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this group that's gathered together. Let us have in our hearts and in our minds the responsibility. We need to just give up. Let the Holy Spirit take over and help us to be mentors to these kids, be mentors to the kids' kids. And uh, Lord, <laughs> what a body of believers, how tight-knit. And I see that in this church and I love it. I, there are people in this church now, Father, that I don't know. I hope I get to get to meet them, but uh, we've gotten big, but still, you know, if we just let the Holy Spirit rule our lives, I like to just use the word, Father, give up, give it to you, and uh, it's an awesome responsibility, but uh, we know we can handle it because the Holy Spirit will take care of it, but first we've got to give it up. We love you so much, Father. Thank you for what you've done for us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. But everything I pray, Father, I pray that it will bring you glory. Amen. Thank you. Good job, you guys. Your kids did not do any damage. I do want you to know on the far end is a young man who will be looking for a wife one day. Arranged marriages is the new norm in America. I'm just kidding. Laura Lee looked at me and said, my kid is not going to be a Wilkie. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As they make their way back to their seats, uh, the rest of you, if you want to stand and worship with us, just want to remind you that you're more than welcome to do that. and bone. 
So a few weeks ago, we started doing something a little different. Uh, typically, we've just kind of read scripture. We've done that forever. Uh, but about a few weeks ago, we asked you guys to start standing with us and to, to read with us. So if you guys would just go ahead and stand. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning. And uh, something that I know we all struggle with, because I struggle with it, and I'm pretty sure you're just like me. We all struggle with this idea of who we are. We all struggle with this idea of coming before a holy God and being worthy and being uh, accepted into his presence and being able to walk into the room, so to speak. And we, not a lot of times do we see ourselves as Scripture says we are, who Scripture says we are. And so we're going to read this this morning. I want you to really just think about exactly what you're reading, especially that second part of chapter, uh, verse 22, uh, when it talks about who we are because of what we've been declared. So if you'll read this with us, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But it gets good. Listen to this. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. Listen to this. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. How about that? How about that?
there's so many reasons we could say that you're worthy. We could stand here all day and declare the reasons that you are holy, the reasons you're worthy. And God, as we just read in Colossians, you're worthy, God. You're the one who declares the sinner righteous. You're the one that declares the sinner clean. And for that, Lord, as your children, the ones you have called, we stand before you and we say you are holy. You're set apart. You're worthy. There's none like you. And we thank you and we praise you that you have looked upon us and said, I want to adopt those kids. So God, we will forever, for all eternity, be grateful, and we'll forever, for all eternity, declare that you are holy, that you are worthy. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Good morning, Harper's Way. I'm uh, Mark Strong. I'm chairman of the personnel team, and I wanted to talk for a minute about the end-of-year staff love offering. Uh, You know, this has been a very challenging year for lots of reasons. We've had to face things that we never dreamed of in the past, especially as a church. Um, But, you know, through it all, I think our staff has done a great job of keeping us engaged, even though we weren't always together, uh, keeping us focused on worship and studying the Word, even though it had to be done remotely. And they continue to minister minister to us in different ways that I'm sure they never thought they would have to do. So I think now more than ever we need to show our appreciation to them at this time with our uh, end of your staff love offering. So if you would consider making a donation to that, I know they would appreciate it. There are some envelopes in the back on the back uh, table in the lobby where you can do that or you can bring it by uh, if you want to sometime in the next few weeks. Uh, The end of of the date that we want to try to collect all this is December the 6th. That's a Sunday. So if you would consider doing that, I know they would appreciate it. Thank you. If uh, you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4, I will join you, with, uh, join you there in a moment. Um, we are 
especially honored to have lots of guests with us this morning, and it means a lot that you're here, and to see folks we haven't seen in a long time back, and uh, thank you for being here this morning. And for those of you watching online, we're thankful to have you there as well, and our hope and our prayer is that we can encourage you. Somewhere in your house, you probably have a Bible. Go find it. And turn to Acts chapter 4 and, and wait for me there. I do have one more announcement I want to make because this becomes the most important or significant week of our year. The, uh, tomorrow morning, Operation Christmas Child begins. We are, for those of you who don't know or who are visiting, Carpenter's Way is the regional collection hub for our area. And that means in every direction, about 50 miles basically, uh, collections are happening for Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child that basically collects boxes for kids across the globe. We send them across the globe and then the gospel is presented as we give them this gift and discipleship is offered. It is a phenomenal ministry that we are privileged to participate in. And I think it's probably been 10 or 11 years that we've been uh, collecting the collections. So what happens is people will bring crates full of boxes here and then we will put them on a semi-truck a week from tomorrow and they will head to Dallas uh, and in Dallas, they will be open to make sure that everything is legal wherever they're going across the globe. But we, we need uh, folks, because of COVID and because of people's health and other things coming up, if you are of sound body, and even if you're not of sound mind, we can use your help. So Carpenter's Way, folks, uh, I think, uh, if, especially uh, next Monday, uh, if you have a strong back in the afternoon, I think it's like two to Chastity. Where's Chastity? I know she's here. I saw her. Twelve. It's, it's what? 12 to 5. If you can come for an hour or two or the whole afternoon, boy, we could sure help you. Or actually, you could help us uh, and load those semis. But if you can't load semis, we still, every day this week, we have a collection center and people will be dropping off boxes and stuff. So even if, if you are not uh, strong, uh, we need people to be receiving those boxes and, and recording information. Um, so as you leave, folks, there's a table out there. If you are worshiping from home and you want to be a part, if you will call the office or text us or email us, we will uh, tell you what day we need you the most. But thank you very much for your involvement. I do want to remind you that uh, you can um, build a box online. And uh, I'll put that on our Facebook page again this week and send it out to you uh, if you would rather do it online. I know that there's a lot of people being extremely careful because of COVID, and we think you're smart for doing that. Uh, and, uh, but uh, if, if you're able to participate, there are still, it's an opportunity to present the gospel. Okay, Acts chapter 4. As you can recall from last week, uh, we left Peter and John at the temple area in Jerusalem where God had tasked and empowered them to heal a man who had been born lame. And this set up a divine appointment, an amazing divine appointment. So let's review this together, starting in Acts 3, verses 1 and 2, tells us that Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take a part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. So just to give you some context, uh, we believe, we don't know how long, far it is after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that Acts chapter 3 takes place, but to make a long story short, life has returned to some, some semblance of normal, normalcy after Jesus ascended into heaven, after the Holy Spirit empowered them. These were still Jewish people who were faithful to the God of Judaism, who they believe was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so they went every day. Uh, history tells us that there were three times a day where faithful Jews, in the, or Hebrews, in the area of Jerusalem would go into the temple area to pray. If you didn't live within walking distance of the temple, it was not uncommon for faithful Hebrews to then pray towards Jerusalem one of three times a day. And you will remember that if you've studied the scriptures because that's what Daniel was doing when he was thrown in the lion's den. 
It was forbidden that anyone under Darius, I said Nebuchadnezzar last week, I was wrong. It was the first time in 2020 I've made a mistake. But it isn't under Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were under Nebuchadnezzar, but it was under Darius. And his counselors had advised him to set a law that forbid praying to anybody but him. Well, he set that law. And it tells us that immediately when that law was set, Daniel went up into the upper room of his house, as he always did, opened the doors, and prayed toward Jerusalem. So this was an act of faithful Jews. And these men were still faithful Hebrews. So they're going to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day. So now you know something about this man. Every day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so we even know where he's at in the temple grounds, so he could beg from people going into the temple. Uh, This man had become part of the daily worship of faithful Jews. This is how a lame or sick or unclean person would make a living. They would be put outside of the temple grounds, and then faithful religious people, as they're going in, would show God that their prayers should be listened to by giving to these people. I am a compassionate, empathetic person. I gave you know, coins to this person. Therefore, you should listen to me. And that is what's going on this day. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 3, when, when, uh, when he saw the lame man, when the lame man saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by his right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up. He stood to his feet. Then he began to walk. Then, from walking, he started leaping. And then, praising God, he went into the temple with them. This, this must have created such a ruckus. And, and uh, our, our text this morning is, is chapter 4, but you've got to understand this context. This was a man who wasn't only lame, but in Jewish tradition, if you had an ailment like that, they considered you to be a sinful person, and a spiritually unclean person. And this guy just broke every law because he was healed. After being healed, he didn't present himself to a priest first. He went right into the temple grounds. This must have created such uh, a diversion, uh, such a distraction. This pitiful, dirty man is now inside these hallowed walls. And uh, some of you may be aware of this, but the temple stairs are actually half steps. Um, your brain, there, there is an actual measurement of steps. Uh, I don't know what that measurement is, but the steps walking up to the temple were half steps. And they were uneven. And that was done on purpose so that you would have to lower your head as you're walking up the stairs into the temple courts. So that you look hallowed. You would lower your head out of reverence. So this guy is in this hallowed place, and what's he doing? He's jumping, he's dancing, he's he's praising God loudly, as you and I would have if if we were healed. Amazing story. In verse, uh, verse 9 it says, All the people saw him walking. And heard him praising God. And when they realized that he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. I bet he was. Verse 12. This is hugely significant. Peter saw his opportunity, so he turns and addresses the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? 
And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power and godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murder. You killed the author of life. Boy, does he know how to make friends. You killed God. For those of you who are not sure if Jesus ever claimed to be God or the disciples claimed to be God, when you call somebody the author of life, you are calling him God. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses to this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. I just love that. This, I wrote in my notes, the Holy Spirit rocks. I, he, he just does. This is, this is little foot and mouth Peter. This is the guy who for three and a half years spent time with Jesus and was constantly being rebuked by Jesus and, and because he, he constantly spoke without thinking. But our boy has grown up in the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the question that Peter asked, asked the crowd. Why are you surprised? You come here to pray to this God who just healed him every day. Do you have any idea who you're praying to? It's a powerful question. When he says that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob healed this man, he's saying the God that we all came to pray to did what he asked. These were not people who really know and knew the God that they prayed to regularly. They didn't know him personally. They were religious people who knew about God and were, were hoping upon hope that if they were devout enough, he would give them what they wanted. That's what their desire was. Men and women, especially parents, taking your kids to church, going to church, praying for meals, that's not knowing God personally. Praying when you get cancer. Praying for somebody else who was in a car accident. God sent Jesus so that we could have a relationship with him. So that like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only do we know what he's capable of, when Nebuchadnezzar asked them, who can save you from my strong hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, our God is capable of saving us from you, Nebuchadnezzar. But when you know God personally, you're okay when he doesn't do what you asked. Our God, Nebuchadnezzar, is capable of saving us from your hand. But even if he doesn't today, we will not bow to you. That's a personal relationship with God. Religion demands that God does what you want. It demands your way. It demands your understanding. These were worshipers. These were faithful Jews. These were men and women who should have seen this man heal and go, wow, look what God did. But they didn't. They were shocked when God answered this prayer because they didn't know him personally. And as a result, in Acts chapter 3, we find our friends surrounded by people who are awestruck at what they had just seen. And seeing the opportunity, there's a divine appointment set before him. And Peter and John present the gospel. In verse 17 of Acts 3, he continues, Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah. And he must have these things. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then 
Times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he again will send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. You see, the problem with the Jews were, while being committed to, the, to Judaism, they had not bowed the knee to God. They had not admitted they were sinners. They had not accepted the salvation of Jesus, the Messiah. And I want you to know this morning that it isn't just a, this isn't just a message for them. It's a message for you. Whether you're in this room or you're watching online, I want to make it clear that, that um, God invites you to run to him. Repent of your sin. The solution to America's problems is not the right political party. The solution to America's problems is not COVID being overdone or, or being eradicated. The solution to America's problems, the problems of the United States, is Jesus Christ. If this country would bow the knee, if we, my goodness, 12 men are going to change the world, if those who claim to be children of God will actually bow the knee to God, this community, this state, this country will be radically changed for the king. My fear, being relatively new to the Bible Belt, 15 years, is that there's a lot of people who go to church, a lot of Christians, but not many people who know Jesus Christ personally. That is a scary, scary thing to me. Because these people, and I want to remind you, these are the people with the right, uh, the, the, the right doctrine. God invented Judaism. But from the moment they chose King Saul over God, these were a people who didn't want to worship God. They wanted God to worship them. And what do I mean by that? They wanted God to fulfill their dreams. They didn't want to bow the knee and submit to his. And that's the call of the church. Paul in Romans chapter 12 says that, that because of our salvation, the first ch 11 chapters of Romans, we should be living sacrifices. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, and I'm part of that. While we can teach our kids Bible stories as children and take them to church, if we don't live it out, if we are not sincerely surrendered to God in our own life, our children, the most powerful thing that they will see is not when I read them a Bible story, but when they sneak a peek into my bedroom and see me on my knees before the Lord. When they see Julie and I, their grandmother, who looks way too young to be a grandmother, when they see Julie and I praying together, when little Sam sees Zach and Hannah praying together, going to the Lord instead of trying to convince each other all the time of who's right. The church has turned into a what-do-you-want kind of environment when in reality, it's what-do-you-want, God, that, that should be our heart. And these people didn't have that. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you do not know God personally, the words of Peter to the crowd, turn from your sins and turn to God so that you, you, that you can be cleansed of your sin. Then wonderful times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will send Jesus, your Messiah, to you again. I've got to tell you something. I've had the most wonderful week. Because after the election, I turned the news off. And I started talking to God more. There's something very freeing, having it not go the way maybe you dream. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a Democrat, then you lost most state houses and a lot in the Congress. If you're a Republican, you lost the White House. So there's plenty to be discouraged about, like every time there's an election. But if you want consistent hope, lift your eyes higher to the King of Kings. Put your hope in God. And I'm telling you, there is joy and there is hope and there's peace there. Do not stop having children. 
Have different children. Raise godly young men and women. You know one thing I want to get back to in the church that I pray for? I actually pray for this. God, help our young men marry our young women. Some of that's happened to the, with the people in front of you, the people standing up here today. But we've got to get back to raising godly men and godly women who then can marry and have godly children. Because that is what will impact not only our society, but our friends and our neighbors and our family. And the people going to pray don't seem to be impactful at all. In fact, they don't even seem to be impacted by God. In fact, when God shows up and does something, they are surprised. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Run to him. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to be baptized. You do need to run to God. Admit you're a sinner and he's the Savior. It's not complicated, but it is life-changing. Acts chapter 4. While Peter and John were still speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests and the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that, now pay attention to what you're, they're upset about. They were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is resurrection from the dead. Uh, don't be confused by the term resurrection from the dead. It is eternal life. It's life after death. It's what the Jews talked about. How do we have resurrection from the dead? That's basically how to get saved is what we would refer to it at. Understand that Jewish culture is different than Gentile culture, and we're Gentiles, but that's basically salvation. And these men weren't, uh, the, the, the religious leaders don't seem to be offended that they did a miracle. They don't even s seem to be offended that they're making a ruckus in the courts. What they are offended about is that they're giving credit to Jesus for it. That's offensive. It isn't the miracle that's the problem. It's that they, they preached that it was Jesus who had healed this guy. Just to be clear, Jesus is a problem for most people. And we now live in a time when we are redefining who Jesus is. There are churches who are redefining who Jesus is, uh, and I will give you a case in point. I've made it the last couple weeks, but I'm going to keep making it because I want you to see it. I want to be clear that while Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross for your sins, even while you were yet a sinner, Scripture says that, He does not love you and He's not satisfied with you as you are. He sent the Holy Spirit to transform you. It's not okay to be self-destructive and be a child of God. He sends the Holy Spirit to refresh you and transform you from your thought processes to the decisions. That's why He sent the Holy Spirit. We're being changed, family. We're being changed from the inside out. And there's a message today that God just loves you as you are, and if you just give him a shot, he'll just hug you all the time. That's not true. He'll spank you according to Hebrews 10. He's the perfect parent. He not only, he not only loves on us, he disciplines on us. You did it. Why would he be left lo less loving? And if you didn't do it, your kids are marching with Antifa today. A bunch of spoiled brats. Not to take a political stand against Antifa, they're a fine organization. I'm simply saying that when we don't discipline properly and teach responsibility, people get stupid. And I want you to be clear that when God becomes your father by adoption through the blood of Jesus Christ, he not only blesses you, but he also blesses you with discipline. And we don't want to forget that. You will raise your kids like that. And these people resented God. They never ever, all the way back, all the way back to when they chose King Saul, they did not want God in charge. 
I could argue that we could go all the way back to Moses. God put a tent of meeting in the middle of the camp as they're going through the wilderness, and the people demanded that that tent of prayer, that tent of meeting, be moved outside of the camp where only Moses would go and meet with God, and then he was to come back and tell them what God said. Why? Because they didn't want a personal relationship with God. They wanted a personal relationship with a leader who would have a personal relationship with God, and that doesn't work. And I would argue much of the church today doesn't want a personal relationship with God. They want a personal relationship with a leader that has a personal relationship with God. The problem is that now you have leaders that don't have a personal relationship with God and we're shocked when they morally fall. Because we're playing church. And they were playing church in in Judaism. And God, through Peter and John, does a radical thing. The spiritual power shows up and they're offended by it. And in verse 4, it tells us that not everybody's offended. In fact, many of the people who heard their message believed it, so that the number of men and women believed now totaled about 5,000. Get this. This is only a few weeks after Pentecost. It's a short time after Pentecost. And now, because of two divine appointments, and this is really important because I'm about to move towards the end. But there have been two divine appointments. Thousands of people are finding life outside of the Jewish religion. If anybody's keeping score, the number is two preaching opportunities in Peter's ministry, neither of which Peter had planned to do. Peter was going about his day, one day on the day of Pentecost, one day as he's going into the temple to pray, and God says, I've got something for you to do. Divine appointments. God ordained moments that he sets before him and they're, they're looking and it's, that's, why, that's why I pointed out, pay attention to this, because it says when Peter saw the opportunity, he jumped through that hoop. There, this was a problem for the religious leaders who had thought that killing Jesus would be the end of this serious disruption to their control over people's spiritual desperation. The religious leaders actually thought that once they killed Jesus, this would go away. But now they know. Because in a short period of time, 5,000 people are added to the 120 that were faithful on the day of Pentecost. But that bothers people. It always has, and we're warned about it. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16 says, Our lives, children of God, are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are the dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. As they were going about their lives, Peter and John stunk to 5,000 people. It was the smell of life. To the religious leaders who had killed Jesus, it was the smell of death and doom. They were being reminded that they had killed the author of life. Verse 5, Acts 4. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other relatives of the high priest. Now, if, you have, uh, if you're with me, then you understand, and you've been studying the, stu- the story of Jesus' life with me, you remember those names. Do you remember why you remember those names? Those are the people who killed Jesus. Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas. Remember that this is only a short period of time within a few months of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. 
That's all happened in a very truncated period of time. These are the same religious leaders. These people who are meeting together to say, what are we going to do with these guys, are the very exact same persons who killed Jesus. Then they brought, verse 7, in the two disciples that he demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, just take a breath. Peter wasn't... He wasn't speaking on his own behalf, and this wasn't training that prepared him for this. He was inhabited by the Holy Spirit. I hope that I'm beginning to make the case for you in our study of Acts to understand that the title that the church has given to the, story, the, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, is majorly off. This is not the Acts of the Apostles. This is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And a divine appointment number three takes place. First divine appointment, the day of Pentecost. Didn't plan for it, didn't expect it, but God inhabited them, and 2,000 people get saved. Divine appointment number two, they're going into the temple to pray, minding their own business. Guy asks them for money, they don't have money, they pray, God heals them, and then all of a sudden a crowd gathers and 3,000 more get saved that day. Divine appointment number three, they're arrested. How's that for a divine appointment? They're arrested. They're taken before the very people that they're hiding from in the upper room while Jesus is in the tomb. The very people, afraid that they will be killed. And now they stand before him. And what does Peter say? It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Wow. Peter no longer fears death. Actually, it's not Peter who's not afraid of death. It's the Holy Spirit working through him. He's courageous. So often we say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to make it if it becomes illegal to be a Christian or if I go through persecution. Don't worry about it. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. He's going to take care of it. And I love this. And I want to point something out that most of us forget when we're reading this. Not only were these the exact people that killed Jesus, but I want to remind you, actually let me let you remind me. Remember what happens after the soldiers that are guarding the tomb, the stone is rolled away, the seal is broken, the body's gone. Remember that the soldiers run back to Caiaphas and Annas and tell them, we got a problem. He rose from the dead. And remember what they do? Does anybody remember? What does Caiaphas and Annas do? They pay them large amounts of money to make up a story that the body was stolen. So just to be clear as we're reading through the story, these people that, are about, that have arrested John and Peter, they not only know that they killed Jesus, they know he rose from the dead. Can you imagine that brazen, non-repentant nature? I love it. Let me clearly state, verse 10 says, to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And he could have added, and you know that. For Jesus is the one referred to in Scripture where it says, the stone that you builders rejected. Wow, that's getting personal. Because actually, the text that this comes from says the builders rejected. Peter is taking nobody hostage here. 
Peter's home, uh, life is completely in the hands of God. He's trusting the Lord, and he's inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And you know what God is doing here? He's giving them an opportunity to repent. The very murders of Jesus are the third group of people that God asked Peter and John to witness to. How merciful is our God? Are you guilty of committing adultery? Are you guilty of murder? Are you in prison? Have you completely messed up your life? The good news is that is never outsending the grace of God. And if Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will send Peter and John to stand before Caiaphas, Annas, and the rest of the group of people who put Jesus to death and then paid to deceive the crowds that he hadn't risen from the dead, if he is willing to send a messenger to witness on his behalf to them, he's willing to save you. Why in the world would anybody want to go to hell? And I say this with all deep respect. Rejecting Jesus makes you about the dumbest person in the history of humanity. Jesus Christ doesn't ask anything from you except repentance and acknowledgement that he's God. Bow the knee, my friends. Well, I don't want to be Baptist. Nobody's talking about being Baptist. Be a child of God. Heck, I don't want to be a Baptist. I'm, I'm embarrassed by a lot of things we do. The good news is I'm a follower of Jesus who just happens to worship in a church that supports Baptist missions. Nothing more than that. And I think, and I've told you this before, it's time for the church to stop identifying herself by the name of the, on the door. We are the body of Christ, uh, baptized into his family through the Holy Spirit as a result of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ adopting us into his family. And we do missions here one way, one way and they do it at Clawson Assembly differently. But all who call upon the name of the Lord, everyone who believes in salvation through faith in Christ alone, are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and we have the same task. So let's do it. I love this. He tells him, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no name under heaven by which we must be saved. Just a warning here, my American Christian friends. Good ministry without the power of God and the surrender of the Holy Spirit's control is a waste of time and a distraction. And I'm going to go farther and I'm going to say and an enemy of the cross. Religion without the Holy Spirit is an enemy of the cross, even if it's a Christian religion. This was never about being moral. This was about God saving immoral people, of which we all are. It's redemption. Acts 4.13 The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Question? Ready? Dumb question. What amazed them? The boldness of Peter and John. Not just what they said. Well, that was convincing. That, that's not what impacted them. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. That's not a compliment. These are academics. Those are just little people from flyover country. <laughs> Ordinary people with no special training. That's not a compliment either. <laughs> As we wear our big gowns and silly hats. Yes, I'm thinking of the Holy Grail, which is not a good movie. <laughs> They're looking down at Peter and John, but they got a problem. But what impressed them was that last line. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. 
When people see you and I, and our kids see us, and it's hard to raise kids. We have had uh, Hannah and, and Zach and Sam in our house this last week. At 54, it's different getting up really early in the morning. <laughs> Praise God for their presence. It's different. It's tiring. And I am so glad that they're in their 20s raising that child. But when our kids see us, and I know we're tired they shouldn't see seminary or Sunday school trained religious people, but ordinary men and women who have the boldness that only comes from being controlled by the Spirit of God and men and women who have been with Jesus. That's, that's what the world needs. And, and I've got to be honest with you, through this election, we haven't acted like we've been with Jesus. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about us in the general church little C. We act more like we're panicked and we don't have a God who's taking care of business. Nobody wants to be persecuted and nobody wants Christianity to be illegal, but can I just remind you that if they make all of this illegal, nothing will change for us except our comfort. They will arrest Jeff first. I always tell you that because I want to make it clear. But the truth is this is a personal thing between you and me and God. It's not religious. The only reason it becomes corporate is because well, together we can raise kids. Because I got news for you, and, and I keep picking on Zach and Hannah, that's because they're my kids, so I can do that, but there's going to be tiring days that Zach Watson wonders what he was thinking when he had a baby. So now I'm picking on Zach Watson. You're the next W. <laughs> or Micah Birdsong. He's such an even-keeled, even-temperature guy until little Sam gets demon-possessed. Ah! And then his wife reminds him, and then he reminds her, he's in charge. And then he comes to a men's group, and we remind him that God's in charge. That's why we need the church. The church doesn't make us more spiritual. It just reminds us that God is faithful. Because out there, and I do believe this, it's going to get harder. It's going to get weirder. And so this is going to become more precious. And I, I, I hope you don't mind me picking on you, Micah. You go to my Bible study, and Zach, I'm going to pick on you whether you like it or not. So both Zachs. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing. L let me read on. So uh, since they could see that you saw that it was, it was their, uh, well, let, let me just read on. Since they could see that the man, had been he uh, the man had been healed standing right there, I'm in verse 14, among them, there was nothing that the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber, and they conferred among themselves. What should we do next to these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it now. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in, and they commanded them never to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. To which Peter, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, Peter and John reply with this, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Ha, 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 ha. I'm sorry, sir. While I respect your cute little hat, my king is God. We cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. I like other translations a little better than this because I think the New International Version actually says, even if we agreed today to not talk about God, we can't help ourselves. We've been with Jesus. My fear is that a lot of us can never talk about Jesus again and feel like we're perfectly fine with God. 
I'm not dogging you. We live in a Christian culture in the Bible Belt. This is hard. And we've made it about better buildings and bigger things and, and more children and bigger whatever, blah, 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 blah. We've made it about everything but Jesus. And guys like me have told you that if you struggle with porn, you've got a problem. Well, you know you have a problem. But the solution is Jesus. It's not getting rid of porn. That will happen. If you, are, if you have marriage issues where you're screaming at each other all the time, the real issue in your marriage is you're not humble through the power of God submitting to each other. I've been married 35 years, and it took me 34. How long have I been married, Julie? 30, 33 years. It feels like 35 for her. <laughs> but we've been married 33 years. And you know, I would, she will tell you, for a long time, we had an understanding. Mark's leading the household, and she was comfortable with that. And then all of a sudden, she started realizing she had a lot to offer, and God began revealing to me, maybe I should shut up and listen. I'm not saying I was abusive. I just didn't take her as seriously as I should have as my sister in Christ. And you know what? We fight different now. The laughing doesn't help, but, <laughs> but actually... God has helped me to shut up and listen to her. She's got a lot to help me with. And there's sometimes she's wrong. I think there was one time. And it's my job as her brother in Christ to help her, but that's the way this works. And it works in the church. And I want to tell you, I said something a few weeks ago, that I think how quickly in the Bible Belt we swap people in churches, why I think it's satanic. I don't think people wake up and go, I'm going to worship Satan, so I'm going over to First Assembly. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is, if we keep swapping, how can we ever encourage each other? If they go from Carpenter's Way to Kelty's and over to Southside, and we just switch whenever you get something uncomfortable, how will anybody, well, confront sin, for instance? If my first response is to exit, then we can't do what we do. And actually, having somebody love you enough to tell you when you're out of line is actually in a right spirit. I have it all the time, and these people love me. It's really hard. There are times people come up to me and, and they say, look, I... I've really gone fat back and forward to say this to you, but I've, I'm not sure that you should maybe say that from the pulpit. And there, I can tell when somebody's gloating or when somebody's heart's broken. Do you know the difference? I am so loved. And you're right to love me. I'm very lovable. But the truth is that's the church. Okay, I know I'm getting ahead of myself. So these guys, I know I'm, I'm way ahead this will all make sense in a moment. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, which obviously hasn't worked, killing them or their Lord, and threatening them hasn't worked, so they threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. And as soon as they were freed, here it goes, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers. Do you know why they returned to the other believers? Not because church was starting at 9.30, but because they needed each other. That's not an unscary event. They wanted to go back and be with the people they had something in common with. I've got to tell you what happened, and they do. And they told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer and listened to what they prayed. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. 
In fact, this has happened here in the city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, for whom you anointed. Now, remember, they're praying. This is their prayer. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, here's their request. Here's their, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Now, for most of us, we're going to gather in quietly in the basement of somebody's house, and we're going to talk about how we go on ministering without ticking off anybody. That's not what they prayed for. They prayed for boldness. It was unthinkable for these 5,000 believers to not talk about Jesus. What was thinkable was to desire while they're giving the message. While the church sits around and debates I don't know, whatever we debate. This is a different thing. This is the church's moment. And it doesn't end. After this prayer, verse 31, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the Word of God with boldness. Prayers answered. Verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they had owned was not their own anymore. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. And there was no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, that, uh, the one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. End of chapter. God is not asking us to quit our jobs and to be full-time clergy. He's not asking you to plan a citywide evangelistic rally so that everybody can hear the gospel. He's not asking you to lead worship in Chad's place. He's asking you to go about your day, surrender to the Holy Spirit, looking for divine appointments. God is not asking Carpenter's Way to be the biggest, baddest, funnest, fastest, wealthiest. He's just asking us to obey. And that's a question that the elders can't answer. Only you can answer. What kind of church do you want to be? And the answer you say is only, the answer you think is applied only in your own life. Draw a circle, step in it, and say, God, change everybody in that circle. And if every one of us do it, we will be a different kind of church. If you wait for a program to touch your heart, it'll never happen. We are going to take a break now from Acts. Starting next week, because I think in light of our year, we're going to take five Sundays, and it will be awesome. We're going to take the next five Sundays and remember what the context of Jesus' birth was. It was not a silent night. We're going to take five weeks, and we're going to talk about how Jesus brought peace into a very traumatic situation, joy into joyless lives, hope into hopelessness. We're going to spend five weeks. This would be a wonderful time. For those of you who have decorated and you've got neighbors who are dogging you because you've got your lights on, it would be a wonderful time to invite them to church because Christmas isn't about trees and lights. It's about Jesus crashing into a, a, a desperate humanity 
and offering hope, peace, and joy. And I think you need to remember that because I need to remember it, which is why three weeks ago, Julie started decorating our house, and it is decorated. Our light bill is going to be nuts. But when I look at those lights, I think to myself, wow, I thought this year was bad. Try being Mary, whose whole town thinks she's been sleeping around. Or Joseph, who's been humiliated by his engaged girlfriend, his fiance. Or how about Simeon or Anna, who spend every day in the temple asking for God to heal Israel? Or how about the priests who hate Herod? There is hope. Be filled. Surrender control. And watch him do his thing through you. And by the way, if you're wondering if being controlled by the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to speak in tongues or give you the ability to heal the lame, if he wants you to, you will. Well, how do I know? It's a dumb question. You'll know. You'll know. And if you try it, it doesn't work. You'll know you didn't know. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, this is a very, very wonderful text. We, we, most of us grew up Christians, or at least in a Christian culture, and so it's hard for us to fathom the joy that these people had, the freedom from religion found in you. And so we, we long for that. That's the Advent. Father, I pray that as we start looking at the Advent, that we would look forward to the hope that comes through the birth of this infant, that we would look back and see what you've done in our lives, that we would be reminded that if you've been faithful in the past, you will be faithful in the future. Lord Jesus, as these families go home and celebrate uh, dedicating their infants, those babies will act out on their sin nature and will roll our eyes and will be tired. But may we not forget that at times you must look at us with exhaustion over our selfishness and our sinfulness. May we raise up godly men and women in this church. May our old people mentor our young people. And may we be teachable and humble in our teaching. And Lord Jesus, I pray that Carpenter's Way Church would do amazing things in the power of the Holy Spirit, not by programming, but by simply how we live in this community. We love you, Lord, and we're thankful that you love us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thanksgiving's two weeks. We need help with Operation Christmas Child. So we'd appreciate it.